not. So, live brunch. We are live. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Live Brunch. Not so. Live brunch. Not so. Live brunch. Welcome to another episode of the Not So Live Brunch. The question that everybody has on their minds right now is, is that your voice saying not so? No. Unless they stole a recording of it um, from me when I was asleep or, or something else, you know, that I'm speaking, they've just extracted it. I, I have never been asked to say not so into a microphone, so I... We just got him saying it. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't me in the initial one. It wasn't you. I do know the answer. The answer is it was Siri. It was Siri. So then the second question is, have you been the voice of Siri? Well, if I was, I should be a lot richer. So I'm, I'm afraid... You're on my brunch, mate. What, what, what further riches do you need? The royalties haven't come in yet. Um, good to have you with us, Joel. And we're joined again by the wonderful Hi. Susie Hosey again. Susie did a fantastic job on Live Brunch last year, so we decided to invite her. Last year? Last, last week. Year. So we've decided Thanks. to invite her back. It's Thanks. good to have you with us, Susie. Um, Joel, you've just finished speaking to us on the nearness of God uh, and the conversation, the very interesting conversation that Gordon Abraham yeah. have very much talking about God's uh, fr fr friendship. Yes. Um, yes. So we hope you enjoyed the sermon. We've got a few questions to help you apply the uh, sermon, uh, small group questions. And these are the small group questions. We'll then unpack one of them before really getting into some questions based around what Joel spoke to us. So the first question is Joel talked about caricatures of God, ways we think of him which aren't quite right. What has been your experience of this? Do you think of your relationship with God as a friendship? What does that look like for you? How could it grow deeper? And how has this message challenged or helped you? And what's your next step with that? And I did not drop my phone. Hey. Yeah, you did well. It's clearly close. alive. It was trying to escape, but you, you, you showed it his bus. Well I did. Well <laughs> Susie, um, yeah. do you think of your relationship with God as a friendship? What does that look like for you? Yes. I think it's one of the most incredible parts of our faith, that because of Jesus, we get to actually have a friendship with the living God. I think it's... It's not always the easiest thing. You have to deliberately stand in it. I think when you're talking about character, caricatures as well, I'm reading a phenomenal book at the moment, which I recommend to everybody, called Gentle and Lowly, oh, yeah. which talks about how like, our whole Christian walk is kind of unpicking the wrong mindsets that we have of God and realising that actually he is so much more merciful, so much more gracious than we realise, and he wants friendship with us. So I think it's, it's standing in those things, I think, it, for me, it's rejoicing that I come through Jesus and through Jesus I get access to knowing God as Father. That like when I pray to him, it's like I'm coming into the throne room of heaven and his ear and his eyes are inclined to me. So I think in terms of walking out friendship with him, it's remembering that, it's coming into a place of being, rehearsing truth, knowing that his heart is one of friendship and love and mercy. And I will always paint him as more angry and far off and judgmental than he actually is. Um, so it's unpicking that, standing in that, talking to him as Father, it's amazing. Mm. Something your dad shared with me once, many, many years ago, he said, um, often we, we say that God loves you, but do you know he also likes you? Mm. Mm. It was a real penny drop moment for me, because I guess there's a famili familiarity that comes in with love and, and, and all of that, but when you say like, it's like, oh, he likes being with you. Mm. He enjoys your company. Um, it's just so fascinating. I hadn't really thought about it. I don't, you know, you always talk, think about God and then the depth of that relationship of, 
of love. And, but there's the friendship element which comes mm. in through when mm. you say, I like this person. I just like being with them. I really enjoy their company or mm. I'm looking forward to seeing them because I like them. It was quite, uh, quite a profound thing yeah. amongst the many other profound things that he has said to me in the past. Mm -hmm. um, so should we jump into some of the questions? Mm. One obvious question is, it might not have been obvious to you, but it, it could be. One obvious question is, why would Abraham stop asking when he got to the number 10? <laughs> It's a, it's a really um, good question. I don't, I don't have a good answer. I don't have a final answer, but I think it's a good thing to, to think about. Because um, he's going from a, a certain figure and he's kind of haggling. He's kind of not haggling because there's no, there's no resistance. God just seems to be saying, yeah, I'd do it. I'd spare the city for, for that many or I'd spare the city for even less. I'd spare the city for even less. And it, it's like haggling against someone who has no resistance whatsoever. Um, which in itself may have been educating for Abraham. He may have been discovering something of the mercy and character of God, even as he talked to him. Um, but he doesn't go beyond 10. And, and I, I've only found people making speculative suggestions about that, um, which are reasonable ones. Like, um, he's obviously concerned, especially about his, his nephew, Lot, who lives in Sodom. And he may be thinking well, I wonder if, if they would survive. And he's thinking um, about his family. Now, in, in reality, Lot's family, purely understood, was less than 10 people. He's got a, a wife and daughters, but it's not, it's not 10 people. So it still seems a little abstract, unless Abraham's thinking of bigger than 10 because of the whole household. There may be others, members of the household, and he may have had those in mind. But then we know that there weren't enough, at least righteous members of that household, because the city was still judged. So it, it, the answer is, 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 it's a peculiar thing. I don't, I don't completely know what's going on. And the fact is that Abraham, it, his, his asking doesn't seem to close because it seems like the conversation ends. And we don't know if the conversation ended because the Lord just moved on. He didn't actually get to finish asking. He didn't go through his numbers. Um, so it's very hard for us to know. But one of the most helpful observations I've heard on it is that the fact that he seems to be going down 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 each time the number seems to go down to the, the progression suggests that sh surely what we should all be imagining is that could there be one person could it be that the city would be spared for the sake of one righteous person mm. that's that seems to be the trajectory of the conversation it's like it's going somewhere well, where's it going oh, it's going to the possibility that just for the sake of one person now we we know that lot in himself is not righteous inherently Lot in himself is not a particularly a, a righteous person. He, if he is righteous, it's righteous in the same way that, that we're righteous, by, by virtue of the fact we belong to the righteous saviour. We, mm. We're righteous by our connection with him. Um, and the question perhaps should be, could it be that for one person, uh, a whole city would be spared? Well, we know that for the sake of the truly righteous person, a whole multitude, you know, that, that no one can number is, is forgiven. Is, mm. The word is actually forgiven. It's not just spared in a generic way. It's forgiven. God has forgiven uh, the nations, the multitudes, because of his son, who is the righteous one. Mm. So there's a, there's a wonderful meaning it's groping after in a kind of, it's giving clues. Um, but it's hard to know precisely this, this question of the 10. And, and, and I think maybe we'll just have to keep thinking about that. Because in some ways, you would almost feel like it, the more noble ask is the larger number. Right. And let, let more people get saved. 
and yes, yes, coming yes. to an opportunity for repentance, but he, he keeps bringing the number down. Yeah. I, well, he's saying, I, 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 he wants the city to be spared, but he's, yeah. he's saying, would you spare it if only a tiny number? Yeah, of course, because he, he's not sure whether he can find 10 people yes, who are yes. righteous. Sure. But he's, he's, he's righteous. He's, he's wonderfully concerned about a city that he's never been to, as far as we know, and certainly there's no reason why Abraham should be particularly concerned. He should be concerned for his family there, yeah. but he's praying specifically for the city. Yeah. He's interceding for, for a wicked city out of mm. compassion. Yeah. And that in itself is interesting that it suggests that the presence of righteous people in a city um, is a reason why that city can have hope. Incredible, yeah. God looks on a city that's, that's ripe for judgment because of all the, the wickedness and oppression that might be going on, but sparing it because, well, I, I'm waiting to say, like it says in, Ro in Romans chapter two, that his kindness is to lead us to repentance, that he, he, he's patient with us, not wishing that any should uh, perish, as Peter says in, in his book, in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. It's like he's waiting for the, uh, uh, for, the, for the turning. And a city with righteous people, well, there's people there. They could be the leaven. They could be the yeast. They could be the turnaround. And mm -hmm. any church in any city in the world, however small and, and apparently marginalised and feeble a church might seem, I mean, Lot was, a, was not outstanding in many ways, quite an ordinary guy, but... Uh, there's this idea that there's this, the presence of righteous people in a city can be a preservative mm. that keeps a city alive and keeps it going and gives it hope for a potential change and a turnaround in the future. Brilliant. Um, one of the things that really stands out to me in this story is, uh, is God change, it seems like God changes his mind. Yeah, yeah. And we do sing of you're a God who never changes and, and, and all of those things. And I think we, we do tend to <laughs> place our... Our, our, our trust in God to a certain measure upon his, 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 his steadiness and his uh, unchanging nature. Mm. <laughs> like if God changes his mind tomorrow, we could be in a lot of yeah. trouble. Yeah. Um, how do you hold that intention with, well, it sounds like he just changed his mind yeah. in this story. What, what's going on? Yeah, no, that, this, this, it's a, uh, one of the many difficult things about the, the, the stories in the Bible that, that, um, that describe people praying and interacting with God is that you see this dynamic happening and, and it, it can be that the Bible actually puts the tension in front of us quite boldly quite quite almost a little bit uh, brazenly so uh, in the book of uh, Samuel when, when uh, um, uh, Samuel in the same chapter as, as uh, where he's been saying the Lord is not a man that he should repent or that he should change his mind it says, it says specifically the Lord regretted that he'd made Saul to be the king. Mm. He changed his mind, he regretted. How can God have regrets? How can a perfect God do things that he regrets? Mm. Um, so th this is clearly a, a good question, clearly a problem. And the Bible doesn't hide it. Mm. So it's not like we can't, we might sort of think, oh, the Bible's contradicting itself. It doesn't know what it, you know, it's made up as it goes along. You know, one minute it says this, the next minute it says the opposite. No, it's, it's way more sophisticated than that because it's literally saying it there in the same chapter. So, you know, Bible writers were not that stupid. They're pointing deliberately at the fact that God is both the one who does not change his mind and yet at the same time at least has the appearance that he changes his mind. Mm. And, and the, 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 I guess, quickest way to try and make sense of this is to understand that God is... He's so great that he is both able to be completely and utterly free from time, outside of time, which is his created creature, 
and, and yet at the same time free to exist within time, to come into interaction. And that's for, for the sake of having relationship with, with time-bound creatures like us. You know, we're created within time, mm. living subject to time in a way that he isn't. In order to relate in friendship with us, he, uh, he allows himself to enter into the, the apparent limitations of it. Mm. He enters into it and seems to be restricted by it. So he, he, when you see God having a relationship with people and literally it says the Lord changed his mind, the Lord, the Lord re repented that he'd done this, the Lord, the Lord thought different because of what Moses said or Abraham said, uh, that's deliberately meant to say, look what kind of a God he is, that he, he's, he's far above all time and he's perfect and yet he, for the, for the out of willingness to engage, to, to befriend, he's able to come into the, receive apparent strictures upon himself. And all of that points again to Jesus because what is the perfect example of how God, that the eternal, unchanging God um, submitted himself? Mm. Well, it's in, in the incarnation, in becoming a baby in a manger, being raised by a mum, being needy in a, in a cradle and then being arrested and crucified all that time was he were, were the soldiers too much for jesus no he said he said any minute he, he was free from it all he's utterly free from it all and yet he chose to express that by entering into human experience human relationships human time passing mm. and so he's, he's just it's really just another reason to worship him mm -hmm. god is greater even than we thought he was brilliant mm. I found reading C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity yeah. is a good book to really Absolutely. try and grapple with. Yeah. What does it mean for God to be out of time and yet step yes. into time? And yes. he, he does write really well. And does, does. He uses some illustrations that help it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess knowing that there's an element where God can change his mind, does that stir your prayer life? Does that help you with... Or is it appropriate for us to, to go before God and say, God, it looks like this is the trajectory that something is happening or this story is out, is out working, can you stop and change your mind, please? And having faith that God could do that. Mm. I, I think absolutely. I think, that's, I think that's one of the benefits of these stories, that it helps to give the permission. Oh. Yeah. Um, great. Let's go on to some questions about friendship. The, one of the things you, uh, we talked about was um, God's goal to have, uh, for us to have a friendship with him. Um, and then one of the things you said was, uh, is, this, is this a verse, he confides in those who fear him, is mm. verse in the Bible, he confides in those who fear him, mm. which seems like a, fearing him, him seems like a very strange requisite for friendship. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> there, if you ask me to be a friend and say, well, you've got to fear me as part of the process, like, well, that just pushes you a bit further, <laughs> away, right. away from you. Not a um, very happy friendship. No. no. Yeah, how do we understand this? Fearing God, and how do we, we marry this with God wanting yeah, us to have good. a friendship? So it's it's uh, the fear of God is a, a, a massive emphasis in the Bible, and it's insisted upon. It's it's absolutely at the heart of wise living. The, you know, the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, um, of of living well, of, of knowing the blessings of God. It's it's you know essential. Fear me, says the Lord. But our understanding of fear is, is, is binary, it's, or it's one or two dimensional. A little bit like we were saying just now about the, the, the breadth of, of who God is in and outside of time. The fear of God is a richer and wider category. 
than we probably tend to think of it in terms of... It's not that hard if we think about something like um, the word love in itself. So this is one of the things that our friend Michael Reeves is so helpful on. I recommend his book on this mm. subject called Rejoice and Tremble, mm. where he talks about the fear of God. Rejoice and tremble. I think it's just superb. I mean, it's a truly fantastic uh, book. Mm. He, he says, when you say, I love something, in reality, you're using a word um, which, which, you know, like Eskimos have hundreds of words for snow. Well, that's the myth. I don't know if it's true, but that's what they used to say. And, uh, and you know, and, and it's, it's like when, when you're... Look at the word love. We, we, we could be saying, I love my country. I love my wife. I love my dog. I love my... Uh, uh, jacket, you know, I, you know, I love, I love this uh, <laughs> hamburger, and I, I love my God. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, re the reality, what you're expressing when you say that word is utterly different in nearly every case then. Mm. It's mm. thoroughly different. And, and to come at the idea of knowing God with, with lim such limited vocabulary is, is, is tricky. We should re really think, reflect on what is it about language, that the, the pros and cons of words that are broad and narrow. Word fear um, has a rich range, but it, it helps to introduce to our relationship of love with God this, this totally appropriate sense of awe, mm. um, his majesty and greatness, um, his otherness, his holiness, which is otherness, you know, it's the word for it, really. And it means that when we, when we say, I, I, I love God um, and I fear God, these two things don't they actually relate perfectly because the love that we have is one that expresses a, is, it, there's a trembling in it. It's not, mm. it's not domesticated. We, can't, we're not, we don't love him in a sentimental way. We're not controlling him. We're not, um, we're not sort of making it sickly sweet. It's, it's, it's it, it genuinely the sense of wonder that God creates in us is, is uh, what helps us to relate to him properly. If we fear him rightly... It will be the kind of fear that actually makes us love him even more, mm -hmm. not less, draws us near. way more. Yeah, draws us near. Yeah, because it describes Jesus as the fear of the Lord. He delights in the fear of the Lord. Absolutely. And it talks about Jesus, yeah. that, that the fear of the Lord is used in the, in the description with, with Jesus, which, yes. which can mean it's only a good thing because you can't yes. imagine Jesus being scared of yes. Yes. Or, or like shying away from God. Absolutely. There was such an intimacy between yes. the Father and the Son. Mm. Um, do you feel like we've lost a bit of the awesomeness and the fear of God hmm. in, in modern-day yeah. preaching and teaching. There is a tendency for God to have become this very cuddly, like, he loves you, he loves you. I think especially in our culture, which is so, like, you believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I believe. We've also made God quite fluffy in that. Oh, he just accepts me, he just hmm. loves me. Hmm. And I think the fear of the Lord is so helpful because he is our friend, but he's a friend like no other. Hmm. He's God. He's sustaining all things. He's holy. He's perfect. He's righteous. And so actually coming back to holding the two intention, yeah. I think we need to do it way more. Because otherwise we lose this whole aspect of God and like his judgment. That's part of what makes us love him because he's so righteous and he's so good. That's right. And so I think, yeah, definitely we have. Mm. Yes. We need to come back to it. We don't really understand the love of God mm. and, and, unless we understand that this... this, this, this uh, holiness that, that creates a, a trembling fear um, because it, 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 throws, it throws it into sharper relief. We appreciate his love more. We thought, oh, now I know mm. if the cross was necessary, if the cross was how far you're prepared to go for me because the, the sin, the, the, the 
the, the blame for my sin was so great. How great your love must be for me. Yeah. Mm. Brilliant. I feel, I feel like we've talked about this in previous Live Brunch episodes where we've, we've talked about how in this, in this current climate of, of self-worth and, and you're kind of finding, finding your own worth and the, um, the, then the answer seems to be, well, you need to love yourself more mm. and that sort of a thing. And then, mm. how does God help you love yourself more? Mm. And it becomes more about us and it, and it takes us away from the transcendence of who God is and, mm. and the fear of, yeah. of him, which, which works because it's a fear that draws you back to him. Yeah. It's mm. not a fear yeah. that takes you away from him and more towards yourself. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's a fear yeah. that says, Absolutely. Uh, I, you are awesome and yes. thank you for letting yes. me come in and yes, I, yes. I want to dig a bit deeper into who you are and, and so often I think maybe because it's the way we've been we've been created it, it, it's taking away that emphasis on who you are and your worthiness and, and your beauty and love and all of those things which are, which are great don't get me wrong mm, mm. and fixing it onto someone mm. who is far beyond um, like you, you think of when, when, when you're signing up to a cause it's the cause that inspires you less about mm. who you are in the process mm. and I think just being drawn into a, the wonder of who God is and, and the awesomeness of God is just mm so so healthy and so good for us and just to say if you uh, if maybe this is something that has uh, got you intrigued and you've never really considered the fear of god or check out the michael reeves book we probably put it in the show notes uh, uh rejoice and trembling uh, it's superb yes. I'm, I'm reading that at the moment as yeah, well yeah. gentle and lowly was the book of 2020 and for me uh, rejoice and trembling is the book of 2021 yeah. so fantastic they, book to they, begin to. They're two books that sort of complement one another really in mm. lots of ways yeah, yeah absolutely mm. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Life Brunch. Um, next week, we have a special treat. We've got Glenn Scrivener yes. uh, speaking to us next Sunday at Emmanuel, and then he will be with us on Life Brunch as well. And who knows, we might be in the... No. No. <laughs> Football is this Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, and see you later. See you.